This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to the Morning Bulletin podcast where we round up all the big headlines from overnight concerning Liverpool FC. But before we get stuck into those with our regular reviewer, Matt Addison, I'd just like to wish all Liverpool fans a happy one-year Liverpool 4 Barcelona nil anniversary. Yes, it's exactly 12 months ago today that Jurgen Klopp's side produced probably the greatest comeback and maybe even the best performance ever seen at Anfield. We've done a lot around the anniversary on the Blood Red channel and on the Liverpool Echoes website, but if I can, I just like to direct you to two particular pieces of content. Guy Clark, one of our regular presenters on the podcast, has put together a beautifully edited audio documentary that you can listen to you now, uh, wherever you get your Blood Red podcast, called The Inside Story of Anfield's Greatest Night. And another of our Blood Red colleagues, Kai Delaney, has taken parts of that audio and made an absolutely stunning video documentary called This Club Touches You Like Crazy, which can be viewed on our Blood Red Liverpool FC YouTube channel. Um, where you can find loads of other Liverpool FC content. Please do check that out. I'm sure you will not be disappointed. Now, Matt, you've actually contributed to both of those documentaries by interviewing the voice of Anfield, George Sefton, at the start of the week. We're actually going to do a special podcast video and audio with George over the weekend. But first, before we get into the headlines, what a night it was. Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0. Yeah, I mean, look, there's been so many huge European nights at Anfield but that was quite possibly I think Anfield's greatest night and just the the whole way that it unfolded the the fact that you know two key players were missing the fact that the greatest player of all time was was coming to Anfield in Lionel Messi you know the the fact that Liverpool didn't get an away goal a week earlier just everything about it you know needed to go Liverpool's way and you know as George Sefton said you know it, it very much did and it was just, yeah, it, it's one of those nights that I think, you know, anybody who was there or, or anybody who's a Liverpool fan will remember that for, for years and years and years and, and probably for the, the rest of our lives. And I think, you know, Divock Origi as well obviously had a huge part to play, Gino Wijnaldum as well, but Trent Alexander-Arnold with that corner kick and, you know, something else that, that we spoke to George Sefton about actually was the... The ball boy, Oakley Cannonier, writing himself into Liverpool history. I think he possibly made his, his under-18s debut this season for, for Liverpool as well. So it's been a big 12 months for him and a big 12 months for the club. And yeah, it's. It, I just, to be honest, I can't believe it's been 12 months. I think that time has absolutely flown past. And yeah, it, I think that what the documentary does when people watch that is it's just made you even more desperate for football to come back, to be honest, because it's uh, it's really well put together and it perfectly sums up what was an absolutely amazing European night. It is. It's a pretty emotional watch. Again, I'm not just saying it because we're part of the Blood Red team. Please do give it a watch on our YouTube channel, Blood Red Liverpool FC. It's uh, yeah, It'll take you right back to that moment 12 months ago. And uh, who'd have thought that one year on we'd be in the position that we're all in as a society currently. But there was a bit of good news overnight coming out of Germany regarding the Bundesliga. You know, the competition, the Premier League, will be looking very closely at as it attempts to return to action, Matt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've spoken so many times about what's happening in Germany in the Bundesliga. And yeah, the, the latest news being that the, the top well, the top two divisions in Germany, um, they're going to return. The German government and Angela Merkel have both approved those things. Um, the, the likelihood is that it's going to come back in mid-May. Uh, so, you know, possibly the 15th is, is the date that is being talked about, maybe the 22nd. It's not been quite confirmed yet, I don't think, um, though that is expected to 
be completely ratified today, I believe. Um, the players obviously returned to training. We've spoken about certain clubs. I think Cologne was one where a few players had, had contracted the coronavirus or, or certainly without symptoms had tested positive for it. So it, the fact that you know Germany has approved this coming back, uh, despite that being the case, I think is, is really interesting. Um, of course, there'll be no crowds. There'll be no spectators inside the stadiums and things like that. Germany, in fact, has, has banned large crowds until October 24th. Uh, it looks like the start of next season will be behind closed doors as well in Germany. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not the only league to have come back either, um, or certainly to have made plans. In Turkey, I think June the 12th is the date, and, and Croatia made the 30th. So all around Europe, really, we're starting now to see sort of plans being put in place. We expect the Premier League will probably follow. But to be honest, I think it's it's worth sort of pointing out that you know, we've had four times or more than four times as many deaths from coronavirus in the UK compared to Germany. Yes. I mentioned Turkey and Croatia. There's only been 85 deaths in Croatia in total. There's only been 3,500 in Turkey. So the situation isn't quite the same, but certainly I think it's, it's promising going forward and it's going to be interesting to see what elements the Premier League can replicate from, from what's happening elsewhere certainly is. We will expect to learn more when the Premier League's latest and probably most important meeting yet is held on Monday. Uh, as things currently stand, apart from guaranteeing the players' safety, which is obviously absolutely paramount, there does seem to be one big sticking point, and it's been outlined by a, a former Liverpool managing director. Yeah, um, the, the League Manager, Managers Association Chief Executive Richard Bevan and, and Christian Perslow have, have both come out and said certain things about neutral grounds and, and Perslow, as you mentioned, being ex-Liverpool, being particularly interesting. He's obviously at, at Aston Villa now and you know they're one of the teams who are against neutral grounds. Brighton as well, I was listening to, to BBC Radio 5 Live on, on Monday night and, and Brighton's Chief Executive was talking about you know how it would be completely unfair to have neutral grounds because, you know, normally, okay, there's, there's no fans in the stadiums, but home advantage does still exist because, you know, away teams would have to stay in a hotel. They wouldn't have their own beds. They'd have to travel, things like that. But I think it's, it's very difficult. I mean, you know, the LMA have basically said that clubs need to back neutral grounds. The Premier League needs to get 14 out of the 20 teams to agree to that for that to go through. Um, but yeah, Richard Bevan has basically said that you know if clubs don't back neutral grounds, there's no other way around it. There's no other option that the league could well be cancelled if teams don't agree to that. So you know, but we we've seen that a few club doctors have, have potentially got issues with the way that the league comes back, and obviously safety has to come first. But for me, the the bottom line in all of this, whether it's Christian Persler, whether it's Brighton whether it's Watford or, or some of the other teams that are opposed to playing at neutral grounds, if they don't agree to it, they're not going to get that television money. Um, so it, it's sort of a, a decision, really, that a club, let's take Aston Villa as an example, I, I don't think they can afford to disagree too much. I don't think they've got you know too much sort of say in this because ultimately, as I say, it comes back to, well, if you don't want to play at neutral stadiums, then maybe we don't play at all. Maybe the season then gets curtailed. You lose your television money, and, and certainly, you know, Aston Villa and, and plenty of other teams simply cannot afford for that to be the case. No, and as a further report that's just emerged while we are recording this podcast, I think it's in the Daily Mail. 
Uh, and I think it's that the Premier League's bottom three clubs have been warned they could be relegated without kicking another ball if they block plans to resume action at neutral grounds as part of Project Restart. Yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of speculation. Obviously, there's a lot of things getting leaked at the moment to uh, the mainstream media. We will see come Monday. But yeah, it does feel like a collective desire from the leagues to get this back up and running. And uh, I think the, the clubs at the bottom who may have misgivings about playing at neutral grounds, it sounds like they're, they're going to have no choice come come the end of it. We will move on from the coronavirus crisis and how it's impacting football in this country to transfers, which we like to uh, have a bit of on this podcast. And there are reports coming out of Germany, Matt, that Liverpool are interested in a Bundesliga attacker who actually doesn't go by the name of Timo Werner for once. No, uh, but interestingly, there, there is still a link to Timo Werner in there. But <laughs> the player that you, the player that you speak about, of course, Milot Rashica and um, Werder Bremen. Um, the latest reports from Germany are that June the fifteenth is when his release clause sort of is in place until, and we understand that that's a thirty-eight million euro release clause. Or if Werder Bremen get relegated, then it's a fifteen million clause. So. Werder Bremen, 17 out of 18 in the Bundesliga. I think they're four points off the sort of playoff spot that they have over in Germany for, for relegation-threatened teams. Uh, but they do have a game in hand. Um, but yeah, certainly it looks like that 15 million clause, if they do get relegated, which is certainly a possibility with the Bundesliga coming back, um, yeah, could be a player who's available very, very cheaply. And the report states that Liverpool are one of the teams who are potentially interested. Um, I think it's a, a deal, particularly at, at that price, which would make sense. He's a, a player, certainly, that on the Analyzing Anfield podcast, um, you know, he, he's been spoken about several times. He's not somebody who I've seen a great deal of, to be honest. But look at the, the numbers, the goals and assists in a, in a relegation-threatened team. They are, you know, fairly impressive. Um, I think he's only 23 years old as well, so he's still he's at a good age. He's a player who could come in and, and potentially be a backup to Liverpool's front three. I think he, he certainly fits the bill in that sense. So certainly it, it's interesting that Liverpool are, are reportedly interested. But you know, we, we mentioned Timo Werner and RB Leipzig are, are interested in Rashica too. And, and potentially he's been spoken about as sort of replacement for Timo Werner if Timo Werner was to leave. So yeah, even though it's not directly linked to Werner, it sort of is in a roundabout way because I think certainly Milot Rashica is going to be leaving uh, Werner Bremen at some point during the summer. I think the most likely destination is probably RB Leipzig, but Liverpool, interestingly, linked as well. It is indeed. As we've stressed so many times on this podcast, there can be no guarantee that Liverpool will spend big this summer given the impact of the coronavirus crisis on the club's finances and, and probably more damningly or more devastatingly for, for many other of the Premier League rivals and certainly lower down the English football pyramid. Although even this morning I was reading that our old colleague James Pearce has been saying on the Athletics Liverpool FC podcast that the Reds still remain very interested in Timo Werner. So again, watch this space. But even if the club doesn't sign any players, uh, it will give more youngsters a chance to break through. And our Liverpool FC correspondent Paul Gorst, along with Sam Carroll, has been profiling one such player on the Echo site this morning. Martin, as uh, our academy expert, it's a player you'll know a lot about. Yeah, Leighton Clarkson is uh, a player that both myself and Ian Doyle and, and Paul Gorst as well have seen a lot of uh, over the last sort of 12, 18 months. And yeah, the, the piece sort of points to him potentially being a player that could in the long term replace Fabinho, which you know, is, uh, it's a long way off happening, I think, at, at this stage. I think he's got a lot of development to do and 
And as it says in the piece, you know, he's he's very small in stature and he does need to grow. But yeah, with uh, the sort of impact of the coronavirus on the transfer market, there's certainly the potential there, I think, for, for certain young players to step up and come into Liverpool's senior setup on uh, sort of a more regular basis, shall we say, next season. And, and certainly, you know, of those sort of 18s, 23s teams, certainly Leighton Clarkson would be one of the names. One of many, it must be said, but, but certainly one of those who has been training regularly at Melwood for a good few months now and, and certainly has been impressing. Pep Linders is a huge fan of him, as he is of several of, of Liverpool's young players. Uh, I think it would be remiss as we talk about Leighton Clarkson not to sort of throw Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, Nico Williams. Certainly those three are going to spend a lot more time on the pitch for Liverpool's senior team next season. Jay Kane as well, a player that, that played alongside uh, Clarkson against Shrewsbury at Anfield. I thought both of them were, were equally as, as fantastic on that night and, and certainly he deserves a mention. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Clarkson. I think uh, the, the piece sort of points towards Adam Lallana's exit, potentially giving him a chance. Uh, I'm not 100% sure I agree with that, to be honest. I think there's still a lot of midfield players in that sort of position and, and certainly at the number six position as well, ahead of Clarkson. But certainly he's going to play a lot more for the under-23s next season. He's definitely well beyond the under-18s now. He'll play in the UEFA Youth League as well, hopefully if that competition can return next season. Um, and, you know, you, you'd imagine obviously having played against Aston Villa and Shrewsbury and, and sort of made his senior debut this season, you'd imagine that he'll play a little bit more in the, the cup competitions next season as well. So, yeah, certainly Leighton Clarkson is a name to keep an eye on and, and certainly one that is exciting Jurgen Klopp and, and his coaching staff at Melwood and, and certainly should excite Liverpool fans too. Good stuff, Matt. I think we'll be speaking more about Leighton Clarkson and his uh, academy colleagues. I think we're going to put a, an academy show podcast together for the weekend, aren't we, Matt, given the fact that the under-23s and under-18s league season is is obviously null and void given by what's going on in the world. So we'll uh, we'll hear more about the young players at the weekend. Uh, that's all for us on the Morning Bulletin. Have a brilliant day. And as I was saying, if you get a chance to listen and or watch our Liverpool 4 Barcelona nil documentaries, please do so and let us know what you think. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.